Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we flex our literary muscles with some Shakespeare adaptations. And then we talk about sexy men and wind down with 2021's Candyman. It's time for a top three turf war. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story hits theaters on December 10th of this year. So that got us thinking about what other Hollywood Shakespeare adaptations have we loved? Have we seen? What's an adaptation? Yeah, literally, I think after we both made our lists, we started chatting, of course, prior to to recording and uh it occurred to us that we both interpreted this very differently. And so I'm I'm excited to have a conversation about what does a Shakespeare adaptation mean? Um, but before we do that, Jay, did you see the West Side Story trailer? It, it looks like a flat out remake of the original. Now, I haven't seen the, the remake or the original myself, but this looks very close to that with a little bit more diversity than the 61 film had. Cause I think the 61 film was like, everybody's white. Well, it, I mean, the film is all about a Puerto Rican, like a, a group of Puerto Ricans against a group of white guys like that. That part's I think true, unless the 1961 version had white people playing Puerto Ricans. Oh, possibly. And you know, I could be talking out of my ass. Like I said, I have not seen the original West side story. I actually, I have not seen the original West Side Story either. Um, yeah, I it I wouldn't say it doesn't look the same to me because I've seen enough of it and I know enough about the original West Side Story that like it doesn't look like a complete remake. Um, it was beautiful, but I didn't get the sense that th- this film was like, looking at the West Side Story story from a modern lens, I got the, a sense that it was just very much a straight telling of West Side Story. Yeah, yeah, that's what I got too from it. I did not get like, we're going to get huge insights from this new one. And that always brings me back to, if you're not going to do something new with it, should it be touched at all? I mean, that is a good question. I, I will say this. The trailer is so beautiful. Like, I I think um, I was struck by how gorgeous he made everything look. Like, it's lit so nicely. And the shots are lovely. And it's just, like, excellent in terms of, like, technical execution. So maybe there's that. Um, but I, I agree with you because there's some something charming about watching like those old movies and they're kind of fuzzy. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I I like watching old musicals. There's something, uh, there's a whimsy there that isn't always in newer musicals because we can stretch the limits of that imagination to way crazier heights uh, with CGI today than we could with, wow, this is really just on a soundstage. And it's kind of incredible. Yeah, yeah, that is true. I guess in the Heights, does it kind of have that vibe? Oh to yes, it? it's got all kinds of CG. It's totally taking advantage of the medium. Okay, okay, all right. Oh, yeah. So now, now let's get back to our actual topic. 
So Jay, tell me how, what do you think a Shakespeare adaptation is? Well, I think anything that has been made that is Shakespeare is adapting it unconsciously to a new medium. That is not how it was originally intended. That is an adaptation. And I remember you and I having this conversation and you said, well, does that mean the reboot of Ghostbusters is an adaptation? And I was like, absolutely. It's 100% an adaptation. Uh, But you disagree. Why do you disagree with this? Okay. Part of it is the nature of theater. So like the whole point of theater is you have these texts and you revisit them with new eyes And as long as you are following the text, it's not an adaptation. It's what theater literally is. Because since it's a live performance, even in Shakespeare's time, you know, he might have done Hamlet when it first came out as a certain type of production. And then maybe they restaged it, you know, like years later. And that production would be totally different than the first production. But it doesn't make that second production an adaptation because in in theater, you're meant to revisit the stories with new lenses. Like that's how it is. So for me, it's not a Shakespeare adaptation if it's Shakespeare. So like you have to adapt the text. So like if, if it's still his words, it's not an adaptation. It's just what it's supposed to be. All right. Well, it's going to be a very interesting uh, top three turf war because we both went in with separate ideas of what we were talking about. With that said, maybe it's very possible we will have some crossover anyways. We might. Yeah. But I mean, you're going to maybe like. You're going to really throw some shade over here when you hear my number three. <laughs> well, hit me with your number three because you might throw some shade at me. Go for it. Uh, my number three is warm bodies. I'm not going to throw shade at you for warm bodies being an adaptation because it is an adaptation. I'm going to throw shade at you because I do not like this film. I know. That's what. That's why I'm expecting this shade. Like... <laughs> But it's it's an adaptation, weirdly enough, of Romeo and Juliet. Look, this movie would not have made my list if I was not going down the like, what are Shakespeare adaptations wormhole? And I just thought it was like a really fresh take on a zombie film. I know you hated it. You hated it so much. I, I just forgot it existed immediately after the credits. I was like, this is so... Nothing to me, this movie. And it was at the the height of zombies, which means I was coming off of zombies really quickly because everybody was making zombies. Um, and yeah, I this believe was it one was around the la- Train like, to Busan. The last and I was like, zombie movies, I feel like. I'm trying to think if it was around the time Train to Busan came in because that movie I loved, but I think that's the last zombie movie I loved. Okay. Yeah, I I liked it because it was funny and I like funny movies and it was charming. And Nicholas Holt and um, Teresa Palmer had really good chemistry with each other. Um, Dave Franco was in it and he was quite funny. I I was just generally interested in this story. Well, I, I think it totally fits our criteria. Yeah, it fits and I our think criteria. you're going to throw shade at my number three as well. 
All right, go. But I, I just, the thing about warm bodies, before we move along, I just, I, I know it has its fans. I didn't buy the love story. Like, I really didn't buy the chemistry between Teresa Palmer and whatever Beastly's name is. I get, I never remember this actor. Yeah, yeah. I never remember Nicholas Holt. Um, I just, I didn't buy it. It felt icky. It felt like there's nothing here that, like, I really am drawn to. And a little bit, you know, what's funny is that Zombies by the Disney Channel kind of plays into this. And I liked it more. And it's a musical (laughs) about zombies, a zombie and a cheerleader. Maybe they stole the thing from Warm Bodies, but I, I, I liked it more than I did this. My number three, are you ready, gentlemen? To throw down. Oh with yeah. Romeo must die. Oh, that that fits the criteria. That's like a hundred percent. This is warring gangs trying to take over. Uh, and you have Romeo in the middle, who is a long-lost brother of one of the gangs who falls for the daughter of the leader of the other gang. And, uh, you know, it even has DMX in there playing sort of a Mercutio character. And you find out, like, these houses have been warring this whole time. And uh, it is definitely adaptation. It is playing loose as hell with, (laughs) with Shakespeare. I don't even think there's any reference except they call him Romeo at one point. And Anthony Anderson's like, Romeo must die. But this is a fun action flick with Jet Li at the center. I I have seen it, but I couldn't remember anything about it. Like to me, the way that Warm Bodies stuck for me is the way that movie kind of like, it was fun and then I kind of forgot about it, but I'm so glad it's on your list. And I'm so surprised that uh, this made it to your top three and not like a straight up Shakespeare one. Well, I know, I know. I, uh, I, I really like this movie. <laughs> Maybe I need to revisit um, it. <laughs> and, I, and I'm and i pretty certain I know what, what my number two and one are because I'm kind of playing fast and loose here. Uh, what is your number two on your list? My number two on my list is not going to be a surprise to you. And I don't know if it's going to make your top three, but it might. It might be on your top three. It and isn't. It's 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. We can talk about that now because that's my number two. Nice. I thought you were going some other place, uh, but maybe we'll get there with number one. Hey, 10 Things I Hate About You is The Taming of the Shrew, and it's fantastic. And the best movie, teen movie that came out of that entire renaissance of teen films. Uh, I mean, I don't. Here's the thing. I love 10 Things I Hate About You, but to say it's better than Clueless, I don't know. Clueless... Clueless was earlier. This was like the end of the 90s. Clueless was at the beginning of the 90s. That's true. Well, Clueless was was 94? 94? This was 99. Yeah, this was like... It was in the heyday, but Clueless kicked it all off. And then, and this was where they like ended up. And it was glorious. Glorious. It's a teen movie. It, there's a guy who says prophylactic and it's so funny. <laughs> I, I love the guy who steals the drugs and the uh, Cheetos in detention. I'm confiscating <laughs> yes. this. 
this too. And then he takes the Cheetos. <laughs> oh, like those little like jokes about like teachers being, you know, adults. Uh, it was great. It Look, th- this movie is so much fun to watch. And anytime it's on television, it's my dad's guilty pleasure. So if we're oh. like in the living room, he doesn't change the channel. And he will only watch it if I'm there. Right. But he won't change the channel. You got Larry Miller as the father. You got Alice oh, and so Janney as the principal slash erotic fiction writer. And, you, and you've just got such a great cast with Heath Ledger, Julia Stiles, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in here, Andrew Keegan. You got Lisa, Larissa, Larissa Oliniak. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Alex Mack. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it's, oh, and Gabrielle Union, who I have to throw in there because I love her so much. Gabrielle oh, she's Union. she's so good. She is very, very small role in this, but she is still very important. No, she's like the main kind of mean, mean girl. She's like Larissa Liniac's best friend who ends up with Yeah, but like they're frenemies. Ends up with Andrew Keegan because, and then it's like, okay. Yeah, because they're frenemies because they're not like real. She's like the bad guy. But that was fine. End up with them. (laughs) It's fine. Uh, I love 10 Things I Had About You. There's a scene in it that always gets my heart racing when Julia Stiles is running down this staircase and there's this this crazy crane shot that goes around her and up to Heath Ledger. And every time I see it, I'm like, that shot does not like get put in a teen film like this. That is meant for epic, crazy movies with like really, really insane budgets. But it's in this movie and every time I see it, I'm like, I love that shot. I love that that's here. Oh, I love this movie. All right. All right. Well, should we go to number one? Yeah. So your, your number one is definitely not on my list uh, because I oh, yeah, I, I have the feelings. I thought that would be your number two, but it's your number one. So go ahead. My number one is Lion King. Holy shitballs. My number one is Lion King. Holy shitballs. No way. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Obviously, elephant in the room. Where's Romeo plus Juliet? Well, to me, that wasn't an adaptation because that's a straight up Shakespeare. Okay. Fair enough. See, I would have placed that as an adaptation, but I don't love it the way that you love it. So that's why I'm like surprised. Let's talk about The Lion King. Oh, my God. We have not had this much crossover ever, ever. This is this is historic, especially in the same spots. Oh, I know. Exactly. And more than that, even when we both interpreted the theme so differently, like when you layer that on top. Whoa. Well. Like, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Uh, so the Lion All right, let's King, talk about Lion King because Lion King is the best. It's incredible. The Lion King. And, and I hope we're both discussing the 94 animated film and not the uh, anime, the realistic animation film from a couple of years ago. We are definitely talking about the 1990s classic. Yeah, the 1990s classic. This is a film that, uh, you know, it. It's beat for beat Shakespeare. It is a hundred percent. And all and the it way does up to the actually, ghost in the sky. A really good job of like making you love Hamlet. Cause sometimes Shakespeare doesn't do a great job of making you love Hamlet. Well, I don't think Shakespeare loves Hamlet, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but, but you love Simba. 
And how can you not love you Simba? love Simba. You know? Exactly. It, it plays so well with the animal kingdom because obviously in the play, Hamlet is already grown when he leaves and he comes mm-hmm. back grown minus a couple of years. But I love the way, hey, this is a lion. He's leaving as a cub and you can watch him grow because that's how quickly animals grow. And I, yeah, it's such an amazing transition that when he comes back, you almost, that you think he's his father because you remember Mustafa. You don't remember this is, this could be Simba at all. And it's like amazing moment. Yeah. Somehow that animated version, like setting it with lions somehow honestly just like made the concept even more rich than the original Shakespeare. I, I adore the music by Elton John. Mm-hmm. Not even just like El- the Elton John songs are iconic, but the score itself is so moving. Like you hear it to this day and you're like, man, you know, this is, I want to watch the movie. I want to get back to when I was, it, I don't know, 13 years old, 12 years old when I first saw the film. Uh, honestly, the the remake, I, I just feel so bad for new live action, realistic animation Disney. Like, because it's like they just don't understand the magic behind these, these like glory Disney movies. The, the thing with the photorealism is that animals, <laughs> animation needs emotions. You can't identify with just a normal naturalistic lion. You need to see the grief that Simba's going through when he watches his father die and he blames himself. You need to see that. That's like the saddest thing in like one of the, the worst, hardest to get through scenes is when Mustafa is on the ground and his little animated paws trying to get, come on, dad. And then you have Jonathan Taylor's, Thomas's voice is just like, it's time to time to go home. Like I'm getting choked up just thinking about this movie and how amazing it is. And, and the cinematic nature of this animation, like how about the five minute circle of life intro? Just that alone gets you going. It's just a beautiful movie. Beautiful movie. I, I'm shocked that we both think it's the best adaptation. That is amazing that makes our job very easy in choosing yeah obviously number one and two is locked Locked you know i'm very happy for warm bodies to be off of the list as am i because i don't think it's really (laughs) like i like the movie but it's not like cinema perfection if you know what i mean right right so uh so that means romeo must die boys yeah romeo must die it's Our number three adaptation. I mean, we could have gone a lot of ways with this. There's other teen movies. There's, uh, you know, Weirdly Strange Brew. There's there's a lot of weird adaptations. I need to see Strange Brew. So my, a lot of my, um, my honorable mentions are movies I have not seen but need to see. So, yeah. All right, let's do this. Number three, Romeo Must Die. Number two, 10 Things I Hate About You. And the number one Shakespeare adaptation, The Lion King. Real fast through our honorable mentions, what are yours? All right, first off, like let's throw in Romeo plus Juliet. This is such a different imagining of Romeo and Juliet 
rhyming company rivals who are also gangs, who are also like politicians. And it's in a crazy city of like LA and everything just feels modern and incredible. Uh, you know, definitely not the way that Shakespeare ever would have intended to see his work. I think you have to admit it's an adaptation. Like it's gotta be. No way. This is, this is pure Shakespeare. Romeo plus Juliet is like the text. It's Shakespeare. You're allowed to reimagine it. I remember during school, we did an adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth, but it was all post-apocalyptic with like scaffolding and trench coats and everything being black. And like Shakespeare's just meant to be reimagined. All right. Well, then reimagine Shakespeare in Shakespeare in Love, which is a, a Romeo and Juliet telling while telling Romeo and Juliet. I've actually never seen it, but I, I do hear it's good. Uh, I mean... Do I think it deserved to beat out Saving Private Ryan for Best Picture that year? Hell no, I do not. Saving Private Ryan is the better film overall, but it is a lovely, beautiful story about somebody who isn't supposed to be where they're supposed to be. They're not supposed to be with this class. There's uh, animosity. And you really feel Gwyneth Paltrow's performance. I think she deserved uh, that Oscar, but... She's the Man is another one on my list. She's the Man with Amanda Bynes uh, and Shannon. That's one of my honorable mentions as well. Beautiful. And I, I, I'm trying to remember what this is. This is, I think, oh my gosh, it is. 2006. But what is the play? Oh, Twelfth Night. Twelfth Night, yeah. So we've got uh, Amanda Bynes who is at the heat like the the height of her powers right before her downfall. And, you know, she is so funny in this film. She's playing a dude. She's playing her brother is who she's playing to get into the soccer league because she's been kicked out of a soccer school and she falls in love with her teammate, Channing Tatum, but she's also trying to like hook Channing Tatum up with other. It's great. It's like really, really fun. Uh, I really enjoy it. And then my last one, that I'm going to mention, I am going to throw out Get Over It, which is A Midsummer's Night. And Oh, yes. I know this movie. You know this movie. This is with Kirsten Dunst and Ben Foster in like the only teen movie that he did. And Ben Foster, I mean, he plays a different person in every movie he's in. He plays That's a different true. person in this movie, too. He's just like an angry, <laughs> angry person um, who falls in love with Kirsten Dunst, even though he's trying to get over his ex, who's with Shane West. It is lovely and silly. And Martin Short plays this absolutely outrageous theater director who's, again, putting on A Midsummer's Night. And we're watching a film about that, about the chaos that happens about it. Cisco's also in it. So that's fun. That's true. And there is a vitamin C song. There's a vitamin C song right off the get-go. I think that's probably one hit wonder. I assume that vitamin C person. Yeah. I think the only one she got huge was graduation day. Okay. But she unbelievably stars in Dracula 2000 as uh, like the Mina Harker's best friend. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. And I was like, what? Vitamin C's in this is crazy. Um, 
But I did really enjoy that vitamin C song for a while. She actually was on like tons of soundtracks. But the only one that ever made it was Graduation. I just remembered the end of that movie turns into like a music video for her song. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's the beginning of the the movie does. And then the end, it's her and Cisco's both singing. Oh, my God. And Mila Kunis is in it as Cisco's love interest. What a great, what a ridiculously great movie. All right. Well, I have different uh, adaptations. Like my most of my honorable mentions are movies I have not seen, but I really need to see. Strange Brew being one of them. It's a delightful Canadian comedy, and I just learned it's based on Hamlet. Is it Hamlet? I I have no idea. Like I just saw on a list, the Strange Brew is a Shakespeare adaptation. I was like, what? This is like a beer guzzling movie. <laughs> yep. And then the other one was My Private Idaho, which I have not seen, but that uh, is based on Henry IV, I think. And that looks really good. And then, of course, West Side Story, because I've not seen the original. And I want to give a quick shout out to O with uh, Amanda Bynes. Not Amanda Bynes. um, The one from 10 Things I Hate About You. Julia Uh, Stiles. Julia Stiles. Yeah, she's also in it. Josh Hartnett. Um, Yep. And Mackay Pfeiffer. I remember this feeling like a guilty pleasure at some point, but I don't really remember it too much. But, you know, shout out. I really don't remember that one either. But like this is the thing between like 99 and 2004. There was a lot of, you know, teen movies based on Shakespeare because of, I think, 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. Was She's All That an adaptation? I wonder. Oh, wait, no. Romeo plus Juliet is 96. It predates. You know what? That would have been the thing. That would have been the thing. Romeo plus Juliet came out. It was a huge success. And then they started going, maybe we should uh, take a look at this guy's work and see if we can do our own thing. Yeah. Realizing that, like, I think they were missing the mark that, like, people weren't running out for the Shakespeare for Romeo plus Juliet. They were running out for Leo, who, like, was huge. I don't think anyone missed any marks. Romeo plus Juliet, like that particular ad- like like creation of it, recreation of this is like perfect. It I think it's like exactly perfect to what the play and the words in the play are meant to be. And I think that all the movies that came after it that were adaptations, it was like We had Clueless, which did really well and was an adaptation of Emma, followed by Romeo plus Juliet two years later. And then that just kind of like kicked off into all of these teen adaptations. I remember learning about Twelfth Night in grade nine English. And our teacher kind of like, and and this is why I love Shakespeare so much. He was like, you know, Shakespeare was like the blockbuster writer of his time Everything he writes are basically like teen stories about teenagers who are like going through crazy things. And then, of course, we did Twelfth Night and then um, later Romeo and Juliet. And like those are stories are about teenagers. So it makes sense for them to be teen adaptations. Clueless before Romeo plus Juliet. So why was Clueless excluded from your adaptation? Uh, Because it's based on Emma. Oh, it's Jane Austen, of course. I am crazy. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if there are more Jane Austen adaptations. Maybe that's something we should look at at some point. Could be. Yes. Emma also yeah. is a delightful film with Gwyneth Paltrow. Just going to throw Gwyneth Paltrow some love because God, she needs it. 
So Jay, I, I have a different view of your room. To, like what happened? What's going on over there? Well, we're we're doing some redecorating and I wanna I wanna show you something, Ivana. Plants, plants. Both of my hands are on two different walls now. I am literally in the corner looking at the corner of the room. My desk is exactly 29 inches wide. That is all. Oh my god. Yes. How do you even Yes. How do you even exist? My, I use a dining room table as a desk. What? And it is yeah, and it's like packed. I've got two monitors. I usually have two computers going, sometimes three. Yeah, I need all the space. No, this is this is perfect. This is all the space I need. I am uh, I basically disappeared into the corner of a room, which means when I you know want to watch TV or play video games in this room once this room is actually completely done, um, because our furniture is all on back order because everything in the world is on back order. Um, <laughs> I, I can just put my chair under the desk and it's almost like the desk disappears. So I don't have to like worry about it or think about work because it's not like a dining room table in a room. This room has become way more functional, um, as a multi-purpose room. Because like, look at all this space behind me. I know you can as the as the listener, but I have so much more room to move around. Um, and we're gonna have a big couch that pulls out into a bed and shelves, and it's gonna be fantastic. And the desk will be the smallest thing in the room. We are so different, you and I. These are some quarantine games. Ivana, I don't know if you know, but uh Seems Paul Rudd, sexiest man of the year. We got people like Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Gosling, other Ryan. Ryan Reynolds has already gotten it. Any at other some Ryan point in time. But Paul <laughs> Rudd has become the sexiest man of the year. Yeah. What is is this true? Yeah, it's a hundred percent true. Paul Rudd is 2021 sexiest man of the year. And I am here for it. Okay, so you've found a game that we can play together for this sort of quarantine game. Walk me through what we're about to do because I don't get it. So this is a BuzzFeed quiz, and yes, it will be linked in the show notes. Uh, And basically, we're just going to play Would You Rather with uh, Paul Rudd or other famous men and we have to choose who is sexier and and at the end I think the quiz will tell us if we think Paul Rudd is sexiest or other people okay and I can I can click on that link that is in our show notes and take this yeah click that link open up that tab and and we'll go through it one by one okay are you ready for the first matchup I'm so excited for this let's do this all right number one we have Paul Rudd versus Pete Davidson. And that is a tough one, man. No, that's not tough at all. Uh, Look, for me, it's easy. It's Paul Rudd. But for people like Pete Davidson was seen with Kim Kardashian this week. Like people really think Pete Davidson's hot. I think I'm going to go with the Pete Davidson on this one. Ooh. Because Pete Davidson is so darn charming and I really love his movies. He makes amazing movies. And so, yeah, I'm going to go Pete Davidson. 
I get it. I get what people see. Yeah. 88% say I am right and not you. Yeah. uh, 12% of people agree with me. It looks like we've got Mr. Paul Rudd up against Mr. Channing Tatum. Both funny people. Both. This one's easy. Really sexy people. Crazily, I'm going Paul Rudd again. Me too. I'm going Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd for sure. But a little oh, bit wins. more. 24% say Channing Tatum, but everybody still says but Paul Rudd. This 76 is 76 say Paul Rudd. Look, Channing Tatum is just a little too beefcakey for my taste. Um, he is a funny guy, and and so that's awesome. But Paul Rudd, I don't know, that, that face of his. I Look... This is coming from a guy who doesn't think that Paul Rudd is sexy. And I'm saying, like, he's sexier than Channing Tatum. Even though I really enjoy Channing Tatum. The next one we got up. Interesting. Paul Rudd. Yeah. Up against Adam Driver. 100% Adam Driver. I don't like Adam Driver's facial hair. I'm going Paul Rudd. Adam Driver is, like, massive and grumpy. Oh, my God. You cannot... Like, <laughs> like this is now 87% for Paul Rudd and 13% Adam Driver. I thought Adam Driver would get a lot more love. Me too, actually. I feel like this, whoever's voting for this, it feels very rigged. But I'm very happy because, you know, Paul Rudd is very sexy. So good for him. Okay. This is just getting ridiculous now. Now we have Paul Rudd up against the hot dad from Inside Out. You want to know what's weird? So they have two pictures. One of Paul Rudd, kind of with this like sexy little smirk looking right at the camera on some red carpet. And then they have uh, a picture of the hot dad from Inside Out with his head tilted. It looks like he's like in the doorway of his daughter's room. And I swear to God, they look identical except for the dad from Inside Out has a mustache. I'm going dad from inside out because I just got to know what it's like to be with the cartoon. I'm going Paul Rudd because um, he's real. Paul Rudd. He's real. 94% yeah. <laughs> yeah. to not, 6%. Not, not into the cartoon. 6%. They do not think he's a hot dad. Okay. 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 I've got a good matchup next. We've got Paul Rudd versus Megan Fox. Well, this is a pretty obvious one because for me, Megan Fox is an icon. And I'm going after Megan Fox. One, she is like way, she was way mistreated back by the press for a long, long time. I think she's really interesting person and she's smoking, but also I am a heterosexual male. So I'm going to pick the Megan Fox. Um, I am not picking Megan Fox because frankly, she's a little bit scary. She's like very intense. Like you're right. Like she was absolutely mistreated by. Um, Wait, what? The why does that equal less scare, less sexy though? Like you now want not only funny, you want approachable too. Does approachability yeah. equal sexy now? Yes, yes. To me, it does. <laughs> okay, fair enough. All right, sixty nine percent agree. I'm, I am, I'm shocked. That everyone thinks I'm actually shocked. I swear to God, the voting on this thing is rigged. Okay. This is where it's got to be the turn of the tide, right? We've got Paul Rudd and we've got peak, not current, even though current is still wonderful, but peak 
Jude Law. And like a good picture of Jude Law too. So this isn't like, you don't like Chris Pratt. I'm sorry. It's peak Jude Law. The likability, the charm, everything that Paul Rudd has in Jude Law's body and, and, and accent. You can't, you can't miss peak Jude Law. It is. I go Paul Rudd still. And the only reason I'm going to say Paul Rudd is that during peak Jude Law, you just got the sense that he knew how he how attractive he was and he was like going to be an asshole about it. And so Paul Rudd has a humbleness I find very sexy and 71% of people agree with me. I can't believe this is rigged. How? It's rigged. How I agree with this? you. There's no way. How? I feel like it's 90% Jude of Law. people it's would pick. Think of the Jude holiday. Law. I agree. Think of the holiday. Come on. You're telling me you oh, wouldn't go with movie. Jude the Law holiday. on the holiday? Oh, God. What do you mean, oh, God, okay, okay. the holiday? Get out. What do you mean? You just chose here's Pete a Davidson fun, over Paul Rudd. Here's a fun, <laughs> here's a fun one, uh, especially because we talked about it not that long ago. We've got Adult Simba, the 1990s version, against Paul Rudd. Okay. I'm taking back my thing about, like, Wanting to know what it would be like with an animated character. Why is Simba hot? It's a cat. Yeah. But, you know, it's like the I, it's like the personality of Simba. No, but I still pick Paul Rudd as no, well. No, hold on. Take that away. Do you think adult Simba is an attractive sex? The, the question is, who is sexier? Is yeah, adult that's true. Simba no, that sexy? Little, there's like these animated little like puppy dog eyes I, I mean in a kitty cat kitty cat eyes i guess uh no way no he there's zero sex this appeal is crazy there. the 10% said yeah i would and and, and 10% <laughs> isn't small it's 11.4 thousand votes that's crazy who there's got to be a bot voting extra here oh, okay this is a ridiculous God. one i don't even feel like we should even like entertain this we've got paul Rudd up against a perfect avocado what the fuck like do you want to fuck an avocado because i do not do i want to fuck an avocado (laughs) (laughs) you can't give me these ideas these are uh (laughs) this is the new american pie this is like the 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 remake that they make it's gonna be with an avocado i mm, uh, it'll it's hollow though jay like it's like you know what makes this avocado more perfect? Again, it says who is sexier. <laughs> Paul Rudd is sexier than an avocado. All right, we're going to skip to the end. I hope you are having fun at home playing along with us. We're going to go to number 22, which is who is sexier, Paul Rudd or 1994 Keanu Reeves? Now we're getting specific. This is like speed level Very Keanu Reeves. Honestly, I am torn. I am... I am torn. I remember, I remember my parents really liked Speed, and I my dad showed me that movie, and like I really did think he was very cute in Speed when I was young. Go on, Paul Rudd, for sure, a hundred percent. Something about '94 Keanu felt. I'm sure he wasn't. I'm sure he was lovely. I'm sure he's still like everything that we know him to be. But something about him felt douchier than he is today. Like he had to learn how to win our hearts a little more. Paul Rudd, uh, he's always had it. He's always had my heart. So, okay. 
I'm a little torn. So I think for for 94 Keanu Reeves, because I had that crush as a kid, I'm going to say Keanu. Nice. 30% of people agree with me. All right. Let's uh, up the stakes, though. Who's sexier, Paul Rudd or 2021 Keanu? That is another good one. Okay. Now I'm now I lean towards Keanu. Now I think I his, you know, there's that incredible question where Colbert asks Keanu Reeves, what happens when we die? And Keanu Reeves says, the people who love us miss us. I'm going to bed with that man and I'm skipping Paul Rudd. Yeah, you know what? I mean, okay, so I love Keanu Reeves, just how nice he is. But I, And I feel weird about thinking that he's sexy now in 2021 because I legitimately feel like I actually like really think that this is like a great celebrity and I'm so happy for him and all his success. And I feel like if I sexualized him, that would like demean him as a person. The question is right. who is sexier. That is the question. He is like a pure soul and he is sexy in and of himself. His like whole Zen thing. Very sexy. Yep. I'm going Keanu. He also does martial arts. You know, he's got stamina. <laughs> I still can't believe this man is our sexiest man of the year, but Hey, as you said, we did the survey and a bunch of times I took him over the other one. So maybe he is. He is. The receipts don't lie. It's Film Freaks. Chatter for the film fan and all of us. The last time you heard from us, we had watched the original Candyman from back in 1992. And now we're watching the new 2021 version of Candyman. Uh, And there are some interesting things in this film. I was excited to learn that it was not a remake or a reboot, but actually this is a sequel that happens 27 years after the events of the first film. Here we're following a visual artist named Anthony McCoy, who's moved back to Chicago with his girlfriend and art gallery director, Brianna Cartwright. Uh, So basically he's looking for what he's going to paint next. And Anthony goes to Cabrini Green And he discovers the legend of Helen Lyle from the very first film. She had kidnapped the baby, uh, killed several people in the community, and at the bonfire burned to death, that sort of thing. And he learns about Candyman in conjunction with this legend. And now this is where things start getting weird. As he becomes increasingly obsessed with learning more about the Candyman legend... Around him and his artistic community, there suddenly starts to be all of these mysterious deaths that pop up all over the place. And they're surrounding his artistic campaign to say the name Candyman, which, let's face it, I think we've said five times, we might be in trouble. Oops, I I don't have a mirror around me. Oh yeah, good, good call. I mean, there's a reflection in my screen, but I'm hoping we're okay. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> as Anthony gets more and more obsessed, uh, the story starts to unroll similar ways than what we've seen in the past, but also very different ways. Um, and this version of Candyman has sort of a different story to tell than what we'd seen previously. So, Jay, what did you think? Did you like this movie? This movie is outstanding. 
It's my favorite horror film of the year. And I, wow. I, I just was blown away by not only the visual effects of Candyman and, and how they decided to do all the killings and all the, all the really fun deaths, but I was blown away that this is a serial killer built off of gentrification. And he basically represents that in communities. Uh, you know, when the white person starts to do something awful and take over those, those communities where black people are or, or try to push black people and poor people out, Candyman arrives in a new form uh, being a victim of gentrification. And it's amazing. It's like amazing to me that someone had the foresight to think of that. Or that someone brought a new view on it. That's right. And because Jordan Peele is one of the writers. And I feel like that's where Jordan Peele, like you can just it's feel where he that. shines really like the fact that this is a sequel at all is astounding. Going back to the original film and, and picking out things that happened there. In, in fact, the origin in this one plays into the original as well. It's really, really beautiful. And, and I, I thought it was so clever and I, I'm saying this as somebody who didn't really enjoy the original, but absolutely was blown away by this film. Definitely this movie is a hundred times better than the original. And yet somehow it's very like, it's very feels reverent to the original. Like this movie respects the original and what the original means and like the importance of it, which is weird because having recently watched the original, I'm like, I don't see what they're seeing in the original. Um, Seem like a pretty like middle of the road horror film. Um, But this one definitely elevates it. I'm it's not my favorite horror of the year. Definitely. But I did like it. I did like it quite a bit. And I very much enjoyed the updated take. And I actually really loved the way that like. Helen's character becomes an urban legend because in the original film that's basically what he says he wants her to become an an urban legend so then in this film the fact that it starts with her being an urban legend and then leads him to Candyman that was cool it was awesome I I loved uh learning about the Candyman lore through the credits and how many different people have become that person the original Candyman really played into gore and scary imagery. I don't think this does that as much. I think this really focuses on plot. I don't think this is a very scary horror film, even at all. Like, no, it's not scary at at all, all. but it will test your brain. Some of the deaths I didn't love. I didn't really love or get any of the time that we spent in the high school. Like that felt, out of place for this film. The interesting thing about all the deaths in this new film is that anything that happens seems to only happen through a reflection. So if, if you are not looking at a mirror, you can't see that your death is coming. Your death is still going to come, but you won't be able to see it. So the, the kind of neat thing about the high school, which it was, a little bizarre that that was even in the film at all. Well, just like, why are we in this are high we school here? at this moment? It, it didn't feel 
like it, it was a cool death. I loved the way that it worked with the blood coming through like the the to- toilet stall. And you're right, like it looked amazing. Like it was technically awesome. Just like the death in the gallery scene was technically really cool. Really cool. Um, super cool. But I just did not know why that high school scene was in the movie in the first place. I right, guess. right. Um, and you only see snippets of the killer through a... I, what do you call one of those things? A compact? Compact? Yeah, I yeah. think a compact. So there's a mirror and a compact and a compact's on the ground and that's the, the way you saw it. I was like, oh, that's like, these are really, really clever ways to work around Candyman that I enjoyed. I really enjoyed the elevator scene. That was probably my my the scariest scene for me was he's in an yes. elevator filled with mirrors and I'm like, ah, oh, shit's gonna go down. And uh, sure enough, it does. The intru- the most interesting thing that I liked about this film was that the hero of the film the entire time not only became a legend himself, but he actually became the next iteration of Candyman. Spoiler, if you made it this far, you know we're spoiling things. But he becomes yeah. the next iteration <laughs> of the Candyman. And I did not see that coming. Yeah, I... I- don't know if I loved or hated that because honestly, Yahia, I think that's how you say his name. I'm so sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. Uh, but I did work with someone named Yahia once, so I, I hope this is okay. Uh, but the he was just so likable. So then I didn't really get him as the Candyman, if you know what I mean. Like he does become it, but... I don't, it just felt. Well, I thought he'd get away. I thought there'd be like a, you know, you could see rot happening across him the entire time. You could see his, but but it's supposed to represent his obsession with, you know, the, the art he's doing. And it's not a healthy obsession. Like people are dying and, and he's fascinated that people are saying his art installation Instead of like, oh, yes. I knew that person and that person's dead. So you're you're, yeah. you're starting to realize like his obsession's taking over and the rot is happening on him. And I just genuinely thought like he's going to snap out of this at some point. He's going to get. I really liked the way that they used the bee sting for him. Oh, that was terrific. Uh, he gets stung by a bee and then that becomes the point of the rot through the rest of the film. Yeah. Really, really good idea because there's no bees really in the film. No, but that was enough because like it it was like the way that he it became almost like a body horror a little bit from that. That's right. Exactly. Uh, and then you had the twist ending of we're going to keep these police out of here. We're going to, you know, we're going to bring them Candyman and I'm going to, you know, have her have you become Candyman. Like it was a very bizarre ending. I did not see it coming. Um, but then when she's in the cop car, I was like, yes, do it, do it, do it. Because there's this whole other layer of this, these projects fear more than Candyman, the police. Of course. I know that was Jordan Peele. That, how could that not be Jordan Peele? Well, and how, if you're talking about gentrification and you're talking about like, I mean, this movie was made in 2021. There has been a lot of media attention, thankfully and rightfully, on 
all of the killing of black lives that happens and there's way too much of it. So how could you do a movie and not have it in there? You know what I mean? Like, yes, absolutely. Well, see, one of the scariest scenes in the film for me was actually in the very beginning. You see those two really shitty asshole cops and they're like nice to that little boy kind of. And then, uh, he's the little boy goes downstairs to do his laundry and he sees Candyman through like the hole in the wall. But then it, and then the horror of the scene is, when he realizes that that man wasn't Candyman and he was just a man, and now he's dead. And he was, and he was a nice man. He was just hiding out. And like, a nice man, like yeah, 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 nice exactly. Like a nice man who is now dead. And I think that scene—that was one of my favorite scenes in the whole thing. I didn't. I don't know if I loved the ending that much. I did really love it when she called for Candyman in the oh, car. Like yeah, that of was course. that felt very cool. It like makes me excited for what the next Candyman iteration could be because I feel like now Candyman could become like a ghost of vengeance, which is kind of awesome. That's a story I would love to watch. So I want to know if this isn't your number one horror of the year, what's your number one horror of the year? A big reason why it's not my number one is that I don't really know if I loved that ending. And St. Maud has really followed me. Like I find myself thinking about this movie a lot. So I believe that is probably my number one horror of the year. All right. I'm adding it to my list because I have not seen St. Maud. Uh, I, I, fe- I felt like I was really ahead on my horrors this year. I watched a bunch on Shudder, uh, made sure to like watch some indies. I think the scariest movie I've seen this year was The Toll. But um, it wasn't saying as much, I think, as Candyman. The message of Candyman was really the thing that stuck with me the most and made it uh, so much more powerful for me than actually, you know, the the horror in the film. I was just, I was riveted by the story and I'm amazed at the idea of what Candyman is now. So it just propelled up my list. I'm not going to say it's in my top 10 or anything like that, but it's, it's high. It's high on my 2021, which we will get to. How did next you year. like the art? I love the art, like the, the animation in this film. That was cool. Oh, the, the end credits was one of my favorite things. Yes. A hundred percent. Because it's showing the- all these areas where white people came in and like took the area away or hurt the people who were already in that area. And those people came back as Candyman, And I was like, that's amazing. Like this is representation of what you've done and the vengeance that comes from what you've done and how you've kept these people down. Well, now we're going to have a person, a, a horror icon who deals with that. And it was fascinating. Yeah, they really made Candyman a very, very cool legend. Agreed. And I like that they brought in the candy aspect, like the fact that they had a candy aspect to it. Anyway, just oh yeah, the note, sweet tooth that. and the 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 candy yeah. would just be sh- like placed in places. Oh, for sure. And how and how different Candyman came back for different people. Very neat. Yep. Uh, okay, so that is Candyman. I I really enjoyed it. Ivana wasn't blown away by the ending or, uh, or a couple story it. beats, but you liked it too. 
All right, Ivana, I got a suggestion for what we can watch next. And it I'm all ears. It comes uh, from a friend of mine who was surprised I hadn't already seen it. It's the Netflix series Lock and Key. And I am told that if we watch the first episode, we will be hooked. So I think we should give it a right. give it a little bit of a try. So for the next episode, watch episode one of Lock and Key on Netflix. And that's the show. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in again next time. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please add a rating or review to your podcast app if it's available. The music you heard today was from bensound.com. And if you read our show notes, you'll learn more about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects. You can find more episodes and information on our website, morethanmovies.net. Or you can like us on Facebook, More Than Movies Podcast. You can also reach us on Twitter. I'm at It's Ivana. I'm at Jester J. We'll be back again soon with an all new episode. So be sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. And until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. (laughs) 